0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Against the Grain podcast where we discuss woodworking and the business of woodworking. This is episode number nine for November 2nd, 2017. My name is Justin Apama, and as always, I'm joined by my co host, Freddie Roman. Hello. And Guy Dunlap.
1: How you doing?
0: What is happening, guys? guy what are you doing
1: what am i doing um it's been a slow couple weeks i've been uh, just like the last time i've been doing a lot of honeydew stuff around the house um i got a couple things done in the shop but it was mostly just organizational stuff i i talked a couple i don't know if the last podcast or the podcast before about a fencing thing i ended up doing it myself so i was out in the yard doing that for a couple three days and I said just a lot of stuff around the house, nothing very exciting. Um, I, <laughs> I wish I had more, but that's about it. <laughs> I, I've been <clears throat> really trying to nail down this buffet that I have a commission on and um, designing it. There's a couple things I want to do design-wise, but I'm not quite sure how to execute the actual woodworking part of it. So I know... I know how to do it, but I think it's going to be overly complicated. And I'm trying to think of a way to do it easier. Maybe you guys can help me out with that. It's going to have a a row of doors, drawers along the top, and then some doors on the bottom. The doors on each side of it are going to be curved, Mm
0: -hmm. which
1: is not a problem, but they're going to be frame and panel doors. Mm -hmm. okay so so i'm trying to figure out the easiest way of getting the groove in those curved uh, rails does that make sense
2: yep
0: yep
1: um i'm gonna i I know how to do it with the jig and just uh you know a, a rub collar in the router put the piece in there and and route the groove. I'm just trying to think if there's an easier way to do it. There's something I'm just missing somewhere.
0: It's a uh, continuous even curve, right? Correct. Y-
1: but I have to put a groove in there to put the fa- right. fit the panel in.
0: Right. You would. I would just make a a jig that was that same curve, mm-hmm. and then you could just push it through a just a straight bit, so yeah. it would follow it right is that what you're thinking
1: yeah i was thinking of just you know making a making a jig where the piece popped in underneath and then just putting a, a bushing on the router and following the a slot basically
0: so you, you know? you, you're moving the router on the piece i was thinking the the fix the the router in the table with my jig itself or uh, yeah, yeah what do you want to call it? i guess a jig and then i could just push the piece through the jig
1: yeah, it's it's a. Yeah, it's pretty similar to what I'm thinking. Okay. I, I don't think it's going to make one. It's just a different way of doing the same thing. I just don't know if there's an easy way to do it. Like I said, something I'm missing.
2: Um, well, you can do but it. But
1: that's the only thing I really
2: have to work out in my head right now. You could do a bird's beak, which is a one-point contact of the curve that you need, and you have a center point on the bird beak, and basically you can just push the stock probably inside curve right against that curvature of the bird's beak which is a certain diameter that you can figure out which is the smallest that you can have that radius b and you can literally just guide it through that's one option or another option is to take a take a router with a bump fence that will basically give you two bump fences that can follow the curve and you can plunge down and just swing the curve on the arc and you can have a curve that's radius to the inside curve, so you got something to clamp against if you need to, or a point of reference, and you just, or somewhere for the router to rest on, and you can literally just plunge and follow the curve with a bump fence. And it works out really, really well. That's one way.
1: Okay, that's a good idea. Huh. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I that's thought about that also, just like a, a single point on the, the router table where it just follows the curve. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of room for error in that. That was my only concern.
2: Now, this is a solid but, piece. Uh, this is not frame. This is all framing panel, no veneer no nothing.
1: Well, the 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 frame is going to be solid.
2: Does it get veneered or no? The
1: panel is going to be a, a, a bent lamination with veneer.
0: Okay. See, I don't know how I'd probably do it, but I would probably build the doors first just to get that curve, mm-hmm. and then build everything around them. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I've I've built a couple curved doors before, and I the, uh, you know, speaking of glues, the, the subject of today, um, I would use a, um, a urea resin glue, so it's really super stiff. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna right. use wigglewood, eighth inch uh, wigglewood for the, the the different layers of it. I'll get absolutely zero spring back, so I can I'm gonna build everything off a full size template. And just base everything in that template even if there is a little spring back on the doors you know they'll be only a quarter inch thick so i can still bend them a little bit they'll still have okay. a little bit of movement in there so i, I really want st- to i don't want to build around the doors i want to build the doors to the the rest of the piece if that makes sense
0: so the, the actual door frame though how do you how will you will you laminate that as well
1: i don't know if i'm going to laminate it or cut it out of solid stock oh. I don't know what I'm gonna do there yet. I will probably laminate
2: it. Well if okay. if you laminate it then you can almost do a tongue and groove. You could do one one portion of the gives you the height of the a wall, then the center section can be mm-hmm. small in width, and then you got a wide section on the mm-hmm. other side. If you wanted to do it that way, that's another I, option.
1: Yeah, I thought of doing it that way too, is during the glue up is just stack it that way mm-hmm. with the interior pieces being shorter mm-hmm. to, to make that groove. Uh, like I said, there's, there's different ways to attack it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Once I, I've got to do that, I've got to <clears throat> find the veneer for it yet. I might cut my own so I can have more consistency in the panels. Um, but uh, it should be a fun project. So I'm, I'm finishing that up and hopefully I'll start that next week. I hope I have enough wood.
2: You know, Guy, the, the other thing you can do, I just thought about it, and this is how I've done it before for period pieces, is that you actually use thicker material and cut the groove straight if you wanted to, and then trace the arc top and bottom, and then that allows you to then shape the outside of the the rails for the curvature. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one way of doing it as yeah. well. But. maybe too much work that's all good advice wait explain that again freddie so you you have your panel that has it's not if that's on a curve and so what you can do is usually you can have if you have a hard time cutting the groove perfectly but you got it to kind of fit where you want it if you have thicker top and bottom rails which is what has to be or styles which is the ones that are curved you can basically then just trace it the curvature on the thick rails and then cut it close to the line and spoke shave it to the curve
0: oh, okay nice all
2: right so yeah, you don't yeah, have yeah. to be a, like i can't mm-hmm. screw up mentality versus i have extra stock i can fudge it one way or the other right. i can trace it with the offset if i need to and then cut it on the bandsaw and spoke shave it closer that's one way
0: right okay but how does that help him put his groove in there
2: well, that that basically gives them a little bit more reference of contact for thicker material.
0: That's a different, okay. And that's a different. Uh, and
2: you can step. you can go ahead and just curve, say, the front part, and then you just have more material to rest on. And so, you, in case you screw up, mm-hmm. you can always like adjust again later, or you can go ahead and just say, "All right, I screwed this section up. Rip it off. Do it again." So you're not you know sacrificing or have much workmanship of risk there. There's always a oops right. factor I guess is what I'm trying to say
1: yeah Okay. Huh. I was thinking a good way to do it is is, is just do it all bent laminations because then I can just use one form mm-hmm. for everything yep um, and there'll be consistency throughout mm-hmm. so I I don't know like I said I still have to wrap my head around it and figure out the most efficient way to do it before I start I, I, you, know, you know spending w- a day making jigs and everything
2: we started talking about this, and it's, like, so stupid when you start really thinking about it. Michael Fortune wrote an article in Fine Woodworking on these exact subject matters on how to create rabbits in the curve and how to cut grooves. He basically used a fixture to hold the panels or hold the styles, and basically it's a pendulum swinging in an arc. So your stock is held in place against a fixture clamped, and you basically take your router and you swing it, and that cuts your groove for you. You can calculate exactly the length that you need, and there's your groove.
1: I'll look that article up.
2: Yeah, it's a good article. I just thought about it.
1: Yeah. If it's good enough for Michael Fortune, it's good enough for me.
2: <laughs> that guy has Fortune for a last name. So for What reason. is this going to be made of?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to be walnut. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's going to be walnut. I'm going to be doing some uh, inlay. And uh, the top is going to be veneered. And it's going to have, um, like I said, the, the the veneered bookmatched doors on the front. I don't know if I'm going to do veneer on the drawers or not, the drawer faces. Um, but Good. The, the doors will be in the top. So I'm looking forward to it. I just have to get the final approval for everything. And I, I, I'm pretty much there. I said, I hope to start it next week. I just, I I started looking at my lumber today, as a matter of fact. I just, there's no man. I hope I have enough to do this. I should. Since it's all frame and panel and I don't need a lot of wood. A lot of it's just going to be, uh, you know, not very wide pieces. I should, I should have more than enough. Good. So, what do you got going on, Justin?
0: What do I have going but, on? But, this Are you still this...
1: working on your foam pieces?
0: <laughs> uh, we're on a slight break from that. So what Guy's talking about is I have a friend that works for a foam, F-O-A-M, because apparently my accent makes it sound weird, people tell me, uh, that works for a foam company in Philadelphia that they cut a lot of like, cushion-style foam or uh, sponges that that so somebody came to them for a project to cut a more rigid style foam Um, it's not quite like a like styrofoam you put in the rigid stuff you buy for cutting under your track saw and stuff like that it's this is more aerated it's a they call it a four pound foam i guess a square foot if it's four pounds but it's it's pretty you can you can actually squish it and it will come back eventually. It's it's pretty rigid stuff. So he asked me if I could cut this project for them. And I said, sure, I'd love to look at it and come to find out. Uh it ended up working really well for me. I could cut it and do the shapes that they wanted. Um the only issue is is that they need forty thousand pieces of these little <laughs> they're little trapezoids. Um it started out thirty five thousand.
1: Forty thousand.
0: Yeah. And then if we found out that we're getting more pieces than we thought and the, the actual order should end up being forty thousand pieces. So mm-hmm. I did my first load last week before I went on vacation and in four days I cut ten thousand three hundred and sixty pieces. So Jesus. Jeez. Um I got ten to ten on my wrist from because I literally I just cut it on a bandsaw, push a little piece through they they come in a block that's uh, ten and three eighths by twenty six inches, and then from that block I can get uh, eight little pieces that are ten and three eighths and then are a trapezoid shape by flipping them and everything. So I push a piece through, pull it off the saw, and flick it. Well, I got tendonitis in my wrist; it hurts like all heck just from throwing that many of them by the end of the thing the last day i couldn't even move my wrist so and i keep aggravating it now that it hurts so but uh they're coming tomorrow to pick that up my shop is full of styrofoam that's packed in boxes for them to take and then i think friday they're bringing me another load of about the same size so (laughs) it's 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 a good paying piecework job so that's why i took it (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's not the hardest thing I ever did. It's not the most monotonous thing I've ever done, but it's definitely up there. Standing at a bandsaw one day for fourteen hours straight—that gets to you. It just—I don't know. It, it's 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 an interesting thing to do. So, so yeah. By the end of it, I had to. Uh, I I wish I stopped throwing the stuff in the bin, and I would literally just pick it up off the saw and drop it next to me.
2: <laughs>
0: so I had that huge pile that. Everyone saw it on Instagram that was all around me.
1: How bad of a toll but, did that take on the bandsaw blade? Were you able to use one? Believe it, solve
0: it. I so I bought six blades. Mm-hmm. I didn't even go through one blade. That's really I thought it is still razor sharp and cutting just as good. Um, I, I was worried about my bandsaw running for that long, uh, more or less, maybe burning something up. I did go through, and I bought new bearings before I started. I went through a set of bearings for the wheels. They just Mm -hmm. started clicking towards the end. And I I set this all up with the, with the guide bearings and all that, Mm -hmm. uh, to just where they should be set. And if, and if I'm literally pushing a piece through every five seconds, I've got it down to that. Uh, the, the blade's not even touching those bearings. I thought I would go through guide bearings like you wouldn't believe, but I didn't. It's not even touching them. the, the half inch blade just stays steady enough. That it's it's tracking straight and true. And so the other thing was there was tolerances on these foam blocks, and my tops had to be two and three eighths, and then from there I had a thirteen degree angle, and I had a tolerance of plus minus one degree on the angle. And I I am very surprised to see that I am staying within four tenths each way usually. Which is four tenths of a of a degree. That's good. So usually oh. my my angles are coming out either right at thirteen, or if there is a flutter in it, it might get to like thirteen point four or twelve point six. It's like the furthest I would go. Wow. wow. We, it, which is it's amazing to think that after first off doing woodworking and then then now sudden I'm measuring in thousands of an inch, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm very very surprised with how accurate it actually stayed.
1: You don't measure in thousandths of an inch when you do woodworking?
0: No. That's the first time I've ever taken calipers out, I think. Really. Uh, in my what I do. Yeah. I, I, so, I, I
1: tend to, to, to do that quite a bit, break out the calipers and work in...
0: I, I actually broke it out different. to do... Uh, for the, the jig that I made for the bandsaw, for the T-slot, because everything had to be so precise, I that's when I broke up my calipers and measured it and got that within a couple thousands to make my runner just so everything would stay nice and tight and track really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, usually I don't check stuff like that accurately tape measure or just, yeah, your line with a pencil. But anyway, so, uh, before that I was working on a mantle for a client that we, it just has this, this big 15 inch molding that mounts on the mantle, uh, uh, what do we call it like what the heck did they call that molding i don't know the cornice molding maybe but it was it i needed two six inch pieces so i just made a uh like an eight inch wide piece shaped most of it on the bandsaw as well and then i went back and just cleaned it all up by hand it, it was pretty neat it was 15 inches long by six inches tall i've never made a molding that big and I just shaped a lot of it by hand. Cleaned it up by hand more or less. So mm-hmm. once I get done with the foam, get that out of my shop tomorrow and I can walk around again. Uh don't you I'll have get a, back on the mantel.
1: Don't you have a table that you're gonna be building, Sam? Table and some chairs?
0: Uh that isn't till this spring. Oh okay. I gave a price on that and I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get it. So okay. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and then I went and picked up wood today. Uh, a bunch of mahogany for two entry doors that I have to do for a. Uh, actually, it's for a sunroom, and they're, I think I think it was a four foot opening or a forty two inch opening, but they have two little doors, mm-hmm. almost like you would see like on an old. Uh, on an old storefront, the smaller doors. So. Is so that
1: African mahogany or?
0: Yeah yeah African mahogany. Yeah. That's what I'm up to, Freddie What are you doing?
2: Um, what am I doing? So, I officially made a, like, I don't know, support system above my bench area in the new shop for added storage. So, that's a huge blessing because I was getting overwhelmed of where I was going to put a lot of my stuff. And then I moved a huge section of my lumber rack. I have about three lumber racks. One big section or one lumber rack has has been moved over. And I'm making parts for... A lot of the scrap I have, because unfortunately a lot of the, the scrap I have um, are, are about three or four feet in in length, and uh, since I do a lot of repair, that stuff is really uh, important for the work I do and for the for the shop to do. So I'm I'm making added storage, and then I I am pricing out a whole bunch of jobs that are coming into the shop. It's uh, it's I think the best decision I've made. I wish uh, I'd made this decision sooner. Um, the amount of foot traffic that's coming here the phone is ringing all the time so the outlook is extremely promising to the point that it's just like even with me being here it's still overwhelming how much stuff we got to do and and make and repair so i'm bidding on a whole bunch of jobs and i i'm potentially gonna be finishing up the handrail uh, in a brownstone in downtown boston this weekend or this near the end of the week and I'm just filling in um, all the small repairs I'm doing in the shop right now. And that's all I got.
0: Good to hear, Freddie. Uh, before we get onto our topic, guy, do you want to you want to thank our patreons?
1: Absolutely. We have a new patreon this our patron this week, Sean Raymakers. And as always, we have John Ross, Mike Holtzhauer, Keith Johnson, Sean Walker, and Michael Hill. Thanks so much, guys, for all your support. We really appreciate it. And uh, for everybody listening out there, you can find us on Patreon.com. Just search for ATG podcast and you'll find us. We've got some different reward levels there and some neat stuff that you can have. So we hope to see you on there.
0: Yeah. And some other business stuff is, cause we need some reviews on iTunes. So if you could please go there and write a review, we really like the five star ones. Uh, Yeah. And give your comments. If, the show's only going to get better if we hear critiques and everything, so we want to hear it all. All right, you guys want to get into this week's subject about adhesives?
1: Sure, sure do.
0: Um, how about we do like a little uh, round table on most of the glues, and we'll bring up the other ones at, at the end that we see are odd, and then Freddie will tell us about the things that we never knew were out there that we should be using. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sounds like a good idea all right what uh what glues do you guys use indoors that's that's probably the biggest one. Oh, all right let me let me redefine that what glues do you would you use for gluing up panels and then from there we'll just break it down even further
1: you mean like solid wood panels
0: yeah for something uh, like that I'm... so how, how about like how about uh like a tabletop
1: a table. I would use
0: PVA glue. Okay. On mm-hmm. uh, the same way. How about you, Freddie
2: I guess it all depends on time frame. If I have or can afford the time to to just take my time on a project, if I'm not against the wall, then I would just use hide glue. But if I'm pressured and I can't need to get things moving on quicker, then I would use uh, PVA yellow glue. Just like regular.
0: Why? Why the hide glue?
2: Um, hide glue. It's just, I'm more traditional, and I I really don't need clamps. I can do a rub joint. I only need one clamp. Um, I don't have to worry about any squeeze-out. I don't have to worry about the squeeze-out effect in the finish. If for some oddball reason I happen to screw up the glue-up, I can easily reverse it if I wanted to. But everyone will say, well, you know, usually you can just cross-cut it anyway. But for me, it's it's just a more traditional process. It's easier to use. I feel that I have more... Open time if I'm using like old brown glue, which is a bottled glue. If I need quick tack, then I have the hide glue out of uh, that I mix myself in a a glue pot. So for me, you know, if I'm more of a traditionalist, so high glue would be my preferred choice. But if, like I said, if time is tight, then I would use something else.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on the hide glue too. I use hide glue quite a bit, but for for clamping up just a solid panel. The open time isn't really that, isn't hugely important to me. So I would just use PVA glue. I don't, I don't know, because it, it, it does set faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's probably the one of the only times I use PVA glue that, or if I'm using plywood for something. But for the most part, I'm using high glue for a lot of the same reasons you just mentioned, and some other ones too, so... What about you justin
0: i for me it's pva glue that's 99 percent of all i use all right i'm done <laughs> for the day no <laughs> uh it, it yeah i i use basically type on one or two for 90 for percent of my work um i it's, it's all for me it's about gluing things up fast and then just putting the stuff away i can clean up easily i never i've tried hide glue in the mm-hmm. pot uh it just I didn't I guess it's like anything it's like uh when you paint a house a painter's not that messy but somebody that doesn't do it much Is it is very messy so when I use the high glue it it gets everywhere and it was it smelled and it, it was just more of a pain for me I had to wait for it to warm up so I just went right back to yellow glue and I understand that high glue is a great product um but i just didn't want to invest the time to learn mm-hmm. it and it, th- there's this what is it the old brown glue or type on mixers yes. mm-hmm. uh and, and i understand they're great glues but yeah just i don't know i'm stuck in my ways now mm-hmm. so and i i've i'll i'll use i'm sorry to cut whoever that off was um just like you Freddie, i will i will do a rub joint with it uh, I'll, or I'll do the a spring joint with it, where you only use one clamp and it it works mm-hmm. fine. So,
2: well, you know that's very debatable. Yeah, you know, the one people. of one
1: of the nice things about high glue is that it, it is the the open time. So, let's right. say you're 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 making a a table, and you've you know you you've done you're gluing it up in sub assembly, So you've got the the two ends of it done, and now you're gluing the rails to the inside, the long rails. With hide glue, since it has such a longer open time, it's, it's a lot easier to get everything square by changing your clamping pressure and things like that because the glue, because the joints can still move around a little bit. I found with PVA glue, once that stuff sets in about you know 10 minutes, it takes a lot of clamping, a lot more clamping pressure to get things in the square sometimes. Um, but again, that's just me because uh, I don't cut my joinery very square.
0: <laughs> so, all right, so if we're clamping up a table and I do run across the issue of where you're saying uh, the, the glue starts drying on me, I so I, I put a ton of glue in my uh, mortises, mm-hmm. which usually keeps them nice and wet, and then I, I like to put a light cutting cover on the opposite part of the joint which is the tendon in that case so i will lightly coat the tenon. if i'm doing up let's say there's all four of them at once and one, one four tenants on each corner because i had already glued up the other section the one way mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm botching this with terms again um and i notice it is drying i will actually take a spray bottle of water and just spray it to reactivate that glue before i stick it all together just a real light mist just to get the glue to reactivate because gets, PVA glue works when it's wet.
1: It gets down on the joints that, that far for you to do that?
0: Uh, well, if you think of it on the – no. If you're thinking of just the tendon itself, the exposed tendon. So we're, we're talking about a, a tendon that I made on the end of a, an apron, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I just need that glue to not be drying the skin of it, drying
1: yeah,
0: to get dry so i'll basically hit it with a spray bottle to reactivate it really quickly and then i'll soften the glue back up and then i can shove it back into the mortise and do my whole glue up and clamping and everything
2: well you know yeah it makes sense sense. Mm -hmm. with with glue it's all about moisture escaping so it's like the pva type on one you know or type on two it's like the there isn't as much moisture there is moisture in it but there isn't as much moisture in it and um as it as the air is sucking out all the moisture from the glue, and that reacts the glue and causing it to dry and to actually tack. You know, adding a little water will help extend the open time. Or there's actually the extended mm-hmm. glue that's out there by typon and that works really well. Mm-hmm. And some people say, well, you know, one one other approach is just to add a little bit of water in the container, and you can mix. You know, it together with a type on, and that gives you a little bit of, of open time. Um, but the issue with that is sometimes is that by adding too much moisture, the joints, depending on the species, start swelling up, we'll swell. and then you yeah. can't get things yeah. to go together. So that's where the term that I learned at school called glue occurs, and things are going all over the place, and people start swearing, and clamps are flying all over the place, and then people are like bringing out mm-hmm. the heavy mallets and you know the big clamps, and it's just kind of like. Why deal with all that stress when I have about Correct. a half hour open time with old brown glue, which is a premix glue with urea? That one, I believe that the joints have to be tight. That's the one disadvantage of, of using like hide glue or protein glue. Yellow glue, it's a little bit of gap filling. You know, everything doesn't have to be wicked tight. But with hide glue, your joints have to be relatively good fitting. And... A little coating on that. You can, like, eat a sandwich, pick up the phone, lean back, you know, relax. You have all these different things that are possible that you can do, and there's a there's, there's lot less stress, and that's one of the reasons why I like old brown glue. And then you have the capability of adjusting and fixing and working around anything that comes yeah. up, mm-hmm. and, you know. I feel that no other glue can do that. So that's why. Yeah, I'm, I'm,
1: I'm exactly I feel exactly the same. I'm sorry to, to cut you off. You. I feel exactly the same way. You know, the with the with the tight bond. I mean, well, let's, let's talk about joinery for a second. You know, if you, if you want your joinery tight, which everybody does, I mean, it's, you can fit it in with hand pressure. It'll stick together. You know, especially on mortise and tenon. When you put type on two or even you know more importantly type on three, which has a lot more water in it those joints swell up considerably mm-hmm. so not only do you have the, the glue setting up you know within 10 15 minutes tops it's harder to get that joint to close so you are you know smacking it together with mallet or trying to get the joint to close with clamps it's a it can be very frustrating but with something like high glue or even epoxy it adds almost it's almost like a lubricant on the joint mm-hmm. And uh, it just slides together really nice. And you know, since I started using high glue almost exclusively about, I'd say, about two years ago, um, my glue ups have been a lot more str- or less stressful than they were before because of that. But there, there are downsides of it too. And mainly that has to do with clamping time. You can't just leave it in a clamp for three or four hours and be done with it. It's gotta be in there for a good 12 hours or, or a day.
0: Yeah, and I uh, back to what I said with the spray bottle. The whole idea of me hitting it with the spray bottle is that glue is starting to mm -hmm. dry, and I just need to reactivate it really quickly. There is no spray bottle, and then just let it sit there because you you will never get that joint back Mm -hmm. together. You are going to definitely be fighting because it will swell up at that point. But
2: well, you know the the other thing I like to address is why or the benefits of high glue. In case some of their listeners don't understand. And i think is one of the questions that people are curious about and high glue the advantages that exist is that it's reversible now when i say reversible mm-hmm. it does take some effort you're not going to be able just like pour water on it and like magically it disappears but it, it won't break or shatter the piece like you would with a pva and that's that's one thing it doesn't affect all most of all finishes that i do like i've never done Pre-cat lacquer, or not pre-cat lacquer, like uh, conversion varnishes or two-part mix varnishes, or or uh, crystal lacquer, it's called. And but when it comes to lacquer or shellac or polyurethane or just oil varnishes, high glue doesn't play a factor in any over um, over like any squeeze out, Covers. any any, any yeah. excess coverage mm-hmm. that you may have missed, and also
0: contamination
2: exactly. And then there's also the advantage of being able just to use cold water even weeks later and before the finishing process occurs and just simply rubbing that glue squeeze out with a little bit of cold water, it evaporates really quickly. And then the main reason why I really love it is that it's the only glue that sticks to itself. It's actually repairable. So it's like when you take Mm -hmm. a joint apart or a joint happens to break, if it's high glue, you can simply spread more high glue, and goes back together, it remelts and it rehears to each other. You do that with any other adhesive, you have to remove all the glues in the tenon or on the shoulder, in the mortise. You know, you have to go beyond the surface and you actually have to get fresh wood for any new adhesive to actually work. So basically, mm-hmm. all these guys who are repairing furniture and just quickly scraping it and just applying more glue on there, all they're doing is putting a Band-Aid on it. And unfortunately, the Band-Aid's gonna fail. And it's going to feel much quicker than high glue. So, those are kind of the other advantages or concerns to be aware of.
0: Uh, it, do you notice a difference between the bottle high glue and the hot stuff?
2: Well, first of all, the 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 hot high glue has quick tack. And so, that you have to be very careful with the mixture and the consistency of it and how how much water is in it and it's not that hard it's just simply you know it's like tying your shoelaces it just takes a little bit of practice you know do a sample run you know grab it between your fingers and rub the glue back and forth and it's like literally count like one mississippi two mississippi and gives you kind of a range of how quick this glue is going to tack in the in its consistency that is how the atmosphere in your shop affects it you know it plays a difference in the summer versus the winter if it's hot or it's cold the moisture in the air so the, you can take the hot high glue to your advantage if you have like a little corner that needs to be glued down, or if you're hammer veneering, then you all the way just use hot high glue. With the old brown glue, you can't you can't hammer veneer. The type on high glue, um, you can't hammer veneer with it. It's not as quick tack. Now it does dry quicker than the old brown glue, as in the type on version, because they have some additives in there and um and that helps with the drawing time. So instead of having to wait 12 hours, you may be able to wait 4 or 5 hours. The problem with the type on version is that there's so many people out there with horror stories of the glue failing. And, you know, it's not people who are inexperienced. These are actually conservators and master craftsmen out there saying that they've been using the typeon high glue for like 10, 15 years, and then there was a major fail. And it's kind of like you know, that concern kind of scares them, and they kind of shy away from it. But with today's world of everyone trying to do a lot of high-end work, you know, a lot of a lot of concerns are is that any glue creep or any any glue sleeping through a very thin piece of veneer, you know, that plays a factor in, in concerns of what the outcome is going to be. But with high glue, if there's bleed-through, it doesn't matter, and the finish sticks right to it, and everything's perfectly fine. And... You can take that all to your advantage.
1: Yeah, we were t- you were talking before about it's reversible. I, I, I know that firsthand from a, a project I built where I built, I built these nightstands, and I had them sitting on top of my assembly table, and uh, I knocked one off. And it fell, and it did some, did some damage. It didn't break, but I had to pull one of the legs of it off. And it took a while. It wasn't easy, but eventually, I got the the, the leg off the thing so I could replace it, and uh, yeah, that was a what, pretty nice feeling.
0: What was the process of getting the leg back off?
1: Well, I, I sprayed it with water, and I, I took an actually took an iron and put a t shirt, okay. a, a wet rag, kind of over the top of it, and just it took it took a while. It took me a couple okay. hours to get it off. But it was a lot better than rebuilding the entire carcass for the stand.
2: Well, you know, so, one of the things that people don't realize is that hot vinegar uh, softens the adhesives when it comes to PVA, Elmer's, um, high glue. That softens it up enough that it helps loosen up the joint. That's one thing that it's kind of like a trade secret. So when it comes like to take a part, furniture apart, you know, I always have white... Hot vinegar around so that I can inject it with needles, or I can go ahead and clean it. The same thing occurs when it, when it comes to epoxy. A lot of people like to use epoxy, but the problem with epoxy sometimes is that there's stains that can that can occur because it's drying, or you got in some areas that your finger got on it by accident. White vinegar again cleans the epoxy, it cleans all the residue. It turns white, so basically you just could keep on wiping until you see all of that white residue from the epoxy disappear. So I always keep that on hand. It's a great thing to have. It's a great tip. You know, people call that a trick, that's a but tip. that's not, not a trick. It's a tip.
1: Now, you mentioned before epoxy. Do you, any of you guys use epoxy for anything?
0: I've used it a couple times. Uh, I used it not too long ago on a teak pulpit for a boat, and I just uh, the epoxy worked great for that because what else are you going to use on a boat? right (laughs) that that was my reason for using it (laughs) but and and it it being teak so outdoors and everything
2: you know obviously for outdoors you can go ahead and and use like the exterior i think is a type on three that's that's a good option yeah Yeah. the the thing to be aware of or concerned of with epoxy is like i i did uh entry doorway a few months ago and i was going to glue down the veneer with epoxy but after significant research and i i determined that If the door was going to receive a lot of heat, uh, a lot of sunlight, and it can go up, you know, several hundred degrees, if the light is literally the sunlight is really hitting it all day, and there's a black pavement in downtown Boston, I figured out that the epoxy was going to fail quicker than the Type on three was, for temperature relations. So I decided not to go with that epoxy, and that's with West System epoxy, and then you know I do use epoxy but epoxy is kind of one of those things that if we repaired a piece once already and it came back and broke you know you know if we can't fix it again with high glue then maybe epoxy is a good option if it's a high stress situation then I would use epoxy but I would probably use a West System epoxy called flex epoxy because it's more flexible and especially like when you lean back on a chair or, or someone's going to really put a lot of pressure on a dining room table and the rail's going to flex or, or something's going to happen. That's when a flexible epoxy can come in. And it's really strong. It's very durable. Huh. The issue that we're having now is how long is it going to last? Now, if you yeah. use epoxy, and this is my biggest frustration with restorers that are not experienced and don't care not everything needs to be epoxied. Because unfortunately, when you epoxy something, to basically take that thing apart, it's like, let me just bring out a sledgehammer and just let me beat the out of it. So. um,
1: It sticks to everything and you try to get it out, it rips the fibers out, it's a a real
2: mess. So, you know, that's a concern. So I always think about what's gonna happen in 50 years. What I do know is this, Mm -hmm. high glue is gonna work in 50 years. High glue is gonna work in 100 years. Is yellow glue going to work in 100 years? Right. Probably not. Is epoxy going to work in 100 years? Probably not. Now, obviously, there's a lot of factors involved. How much use, where is it stored? How how was it maintained? What item was it? You know, the stress factors. But I'm confident enough to say that high glue is going to work.
0: So, Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I the, the epoxy, I've only used it for gluing up certain things like that. I've never taken the, the time to use it for gluing up just like you said Morris and tenons for open long time and all that it's it, and, and the other thing is is it it tends to need a, a looser fitting joint mm-hmm. i've i've always noticed because it's thicker right um and i've never i've never designed my joints to be originally used with the epoxy i've always had the intent of using pva glue so i, I don't ever leave that much room in my joints for that um uh, yeah, and I'm not gluing up tabletops with it because I just do them
1: yeah.
0: well, in I, several sections. I
1: know. Uh, I know Mark Spagnolo has talked before when he was living in Arizona that he used a lot of epoxy because it was so dry mm-hmm, there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, using using a you know a water based PVA glue, the stuff would just you know start drying brittle. in two minutes. Mm-hmm. So I think that may be a consideration. Now, none of us have that problem, but I, I think people right. out in the the southwestern United States might
0: that's so. true yeah now i i will say that i used epoxy a lot for filling holes mm-hmm. uh, i have i had the total boatworks version it, it's basically the west system it's the mm-hmm. exact same thing um and then i would just mix trans in it to get it to be darker and fill that yeah. way yeah but uh, it's uh, I'm using it one way or the other. It's the same thing. I use I use so little, but I
1: use that the the system three epoxy, which is basically the same thing. But it's a yeah. You can buy it in much smaller quantities and uh-huh. these big gallon containers, uh, and I can mix up a very small amount. So it's I, I've got a couple bottles of that. That's I've had for probably you know, well probably two years, maybe two and a half years, and I've only used half of it. And uh-huh. I've, I've used it quite a bit, you know, mainly to fill you know, defects in wood, stabilized knots, things like that. But now, I don't think I've ever used epoxy to glue something up.
2: Yeah, I have no interest in gluing stuff up unless it's a last-minute decision to go ahead and glue it up. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's go ahead and talk about uh, Elmer's glue because it's one of those glues that not many people use and everyone thinks that the only thing good for Elmer's glue is to put it all over your hand to get... Uh, You know, that old skin off, make us feel younger. Uh, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Make macaroni.
0: All right, let let me start off with the Elmer's glue and ask this question is what is the difference between Mm -hmm. Elmer's white glue, right, and PVA glue?
2: Supposedly, the the amount of creep that Elmer's glue has, Uh, yellow glue or PVA glue doesn't have as much creep capacity. I think that's one of the main differences. After that, curing time may be similar. Some people say it's not. And I believe that it doesn't affect the finish that you put on a piece as much, because for some odd reason, the, the Elmer's glue is, is, can be cleaned up easier than the yellow glue with simply using a little water and a little sponge.
0: Okay, so the the creep mean the creep. Well, I guess what I mean by than creep PVA is PVA that glue.
2: the wood has a capability of expanding and contracting more than it would with the PVA. So if you have a wide case, for example, and you have a leg in the front and a leg in the back, and you have multiple stub tenants, obviously the concern is you want to have enough wood movement in the mortises so that the case doesn't crack. And so many people are concerned about this. And usually the rule is the bottom tenon, it's nice and tight, but the intermediate and the top level one are left with a gap on top and bottom to allow expansion and contraction. The issue with that sometimes is that you feel like you still need a little bit of an adhesive in the intermediate and top tenons. So the go-to, like best kept secret, uh, as people are telling me, is that if you just use Elmer's glue, you can glue all three of them and Elmer's glue has enough creep in allowing the wood to move but still keep things tight.
1: Huh. I didn't know that.
2: And I've tried... I, I've, I've, I've actually tried this on my... on three Seymour cases. They're about 15 to 18 inches in width. Obviously, it's mahogany, majority, one is cherry. And obviously, you know, I did the rule, make the bottom tenon nice and tight. I left a quarter-inch gap on the intermediate rail top and bottom and the same thing on the top and many people said well, you know that may not be enough so i basically tried it with white glue and it worked perfectly fine no no cracks
0: so when you you say if it, it allows for that amount of movement meaning that this might be the perfect glue for using on a banding yes. on a solid wood top
2: correct mm-hmm Okay. Uh, I, I, you know, and and then there's the the furniture maker. is called the Headleys, and they're in, um, I think, in Virginia, and they've done a lot of work for the previous presidents, and they're they're like third generation or fourth generation cabin makers, and all they use is white glue. They never had an issue. None of their carcasses oh. crack. None of their cases crack. None of their drawer bottoms mm. crack, and they say, you know, their rule is why change if if it's not broken, why fix something that's not broken? So they just use Elmer's glue. Yeah. Huh.
1: Does it have a, a lot of water in it? Like PVA glue? Uh, does it, it does have
2: much? water in it, but I, I personally think it doesn't have as much water in it. And now when I talk about Elmer's glue, obviously I'm just talking about the original white glue. Cause they have a variety of different versions today. And I'm not sure about mm. any of those, but the white, uh, Elmer's glue uh, has a little bit of water in it, but not that much. And obviously there's a little bit, a bit more of clamping time, I believe, than you would have to do with yellow glue. But overall, structure-wise and strength-wise, I feel it's still the same. And I guess it's very common for the Krenoff School and Mr. Krenoff when he was alive to use Elmer's glue as the preferred adhesive.
1: Now, if you had a choice, you know, in doing casework like that, would you use the, the Elmer's white glue or high glue?
2: well i I was always drilled by ne- will Neptune. you know he always said that you know high quality furniture the case doesn't crack. We have the capability of making furniture of higher quality than the makers of the old. So because of his like push to make sure that I keep you know pushing my level of skill and workmanship, I would use Elmers because it's never failed will it's never failed me, and um, I don't see why to change now. You know, I'm sure that you can do the same thing with high glue if, if you only glued the bottom tenon and pinned the top two with elongated holes. So I, I don't want pins in my top and intermediate rails or tenons, sorry. So I prefer a nice, clean substrate. So I just use Elmer's. So, you know, like, Will, Will for example, Will Neptune said that when he was a student in the 80s, his sideboard, case side moves up and down three-eighths of an inch. And it's yet to get a crack.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: From 1981, I think it was. Every year, it shrinks from three-eighths, it goes up three-eighths, not a single crack. So that's pretty amazing.
1: It's quite a bit of movement. Yeah,
2: there's a quite a bit of movement there. And um, it's never had an issue. In my... I have a Seymour, like, you know, inspired chest at home. I did it out of African mahogany, this particular one. It moves about an eighth of an inch, up and down, and I have yet to get a crack.
0: Very nice. See, I, I have a friend that used to do commercial veneer work, mm-hmm. um, case goods and everything, and that's what he claimed that learned, he learned to glue with white Elmer's glue, and they would thin it so it would work even longer. Mm-hmm. But he said that's all they ever use, and I, I had never tried it
2: before.
1: So how long does white glue take to set versus, let's say, PVA? About the same amount?
2: No, it takes longer. It
1: takes longer? Yeah, it takes about... So it has a longer open time. It takes
2: a little bit, a couple... Oh, oh, I'm sorry, to set. It takes a little bit longer to set than PVA, yes. Yeah, so it has a little bit more open time. And um, it takes about two to three hours, depending on a year, extra of clamping time. I'll have to give it a try. Yeah. Um, you know, it's supposedly like the bleed-through. No, Not many people have issues with bleed-through. And in factories that were making, you know... In the early 1900s, a lot of them did use Elmer's glue for veneering, at least locally. All
0: right, so he, here's a question. This might, this made me think of it. So when I see a lot of uh, videos online, usually from out of this country, there's a they're using a white wood glue, mm-hmm. which I I never see white wood glue. Is that what it probably is, or you have no, no idea, or is there a white? White PVA glue?
2: No, that one is rice rice glue. They make their own rice glue. Oh. And there's a formula for that. And uh, I've used it. I'm, I've baked my own rice glue. And it works. It's totally different. It, it, but it works really well. And uh, I've never tried it on carcasses. I've only tried it on like inlay and banding repairs. So I can't give you any more information beyond that. I can't say all of them are doing rice glue. But several that I've seen and spoken to people who are uh japanese craftsmen um they've said that they make their own rice adhesives they make a paste of some sort
0: all right all right so how about this this other one this fish glue that you mentioned about before
2: oh fish glue so one of the advantages of fish glue is when you want two independent like materials for example in marquetry when there's wood and metal or turtle shell and metal um, you need both of those materials have a tendency of moving at different rates the fish glue which is a natural protein glue allows those two materials to move independently so there's a again we're taking advantage of creep but the advantages mm-hmm. of fish glue is that since it's a protein glue um, it's reversible It doesn't affect the finish and uh, has fish glue actually has a quick tack so really out of the bottom the glue has that like I don't know one or two minute quick like clamping tack so it really sets really well and after two hours you can take it off the clamps so you get all the benefits of all the protein glues concept and then just gives you a quicker clamping now The issue with the fish glue is that when you need a lot of shear strength for, say, depending on the piece that you're building or gluing together, it's not recommended. It's more one of those things that for items that are not going to be really stressed. Now, would I use them on a small table, like a shaker table? Yes. Would I use them on like a dining room table? No. But, you know, it works really well. I use fish glue a lot for my stringing. and and banding like when I'm gluing it down because I want all the benefits of the protein but I don't want to have to wait really long and um, sometimes I don't want to mess around with the glue pot because maybe it's not set or, or if I'm teaching a class and I don't have to worry about instructing how to get your glue consistently to 12 students I can just squeeze out some fish glue and be like here spread this on quick tack you're done move on and it works really well
0: so does it kind of work like a contact adhesive in a way, or is it not that rubby, rubbery?
2: It's not that rubbery, and it's not that quick. Like you can still move okay. it. You know, it's not one try and you're done. You still can play around with it. You can still heat it. Um, but it works just as any other adhesive. Now it does have a fish smell to it, so it's one thing to be aware of. And um, it says in the, in the on the bottle that you should wear gloves because of possible bacteria because it's fish, but I've never had any issues. Okay. But really, huh. you know, for wooden metal or other, you know, different materials, but for stringing or banding, you know, it it works wonders. It really does play a great role.
1: Yeah, I remember you showing some of that uh, marquetry stuff with the veneers and it was a uh, fish glued to a piece of paper. Mm-hmm.
2: Also known as bulwark.
1: work yeah it was it was pretty interesting how all that all that came together, yeah, I still haven't tried it yet
2: no, it's pretty cool it's 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 amazing how well it works um, and I'm a big fan of it now no go it, ahead, I'm sorry
1: does it does it come in like like high glue and beads, or is it already mixed in a bottle and you just buy it that way?
2: I buy all mine mixed pre made in a bottle, I assume. That's how all of it is being produced or it's available for purchase. I purchased the fish glue from Lee Valley in their bottles. They okay. have a variety of different sizes. And Patrick Edwards told me that Lee Valley is the cheapest to purchase fish glue from. And I guess almost all fish glue is being produced in Canada. So if anyone is selling it and they're not in Canada, all they're doing pretty much is Buying it from Canada, rebottling it, and packaging it, and then selling it off
1: to you. I was going to ask if there was different types of fish glue, or just fish glue is fish glue. Fish
2: glue is fish glue.
0: Okay, yeah, I just looked it up. So the, there's one that says it's high-tech, or I guess they're all high-tech? hmm
2: they're all high-tech.
0: Okay. Huh. Does it have to be heated up? No,
2: it does not. So that's another oh, it advantage. It flows
1: pretty well right out of the bottle. Yes.
0: Oh, look at that. You could buy on eBay dried croaker bladders for making fish glue. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess I should have said that. It comes from the bladder of the fish. Mm-hmm.
1: Huh. Interesting. You know, I don't think I want to buy bladders and make my own fish glue. <laughs> all
0: right. So like fun. is it that much different than high glue? Or is it just that it's uh, – let's say, all right, so comparing it to the the brown glues, the, the, the uh-huh. old brown glue, the – liquid high glue. How much different is it than that?
2: Well, it's almost it's, like, th- it's almost the best of two worlds because it's like, I don't want to have to heat up my own glue. I occasionally want fast tack. I don't want to have to clamp my furniture for 24 hours. So this one gives you the quick tack. It's a, it's a protein. Okay. doesn't an effective finish and it takes a couple hours to tack. But the only negative is that for really short, you know, high tested joinery. It's not recommended. Okay. okay. Now you know yeah. if we had if we, if we go back to like old brown glue, we want that because we don't want the stress of gluing up this fish glue because it is high tech, Will give you a lot of stress. And there is one project in my oh. lifetime that um, I fitted multiple times, and I felt to the point that it would go together perfectly fine. And we didn't waste any time. Everything was set. It was two of us. We planned everything, and boy, did we like bring out the sledgehammer trying to like get the stuff together. So it's it's pretty tacky, you know, in a a short time.
0: What do you want to talk about next?
2: Um, I guess we got the CA glue, or someone mentioned the fast cap, which is kind of a CA glue essentially.
1: I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was CA. Glue.
2: It is a CA glue, but it just it's it's titled a different different number configuration for FastCap. But I think all of them are the same. They're all CA glues.
0: I personally never thought about using a CA glue until recently, when you started seeing everybody basically use it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I my experience with it is, I made a ring for my wife hmm. before we even got engaged. I made a ring with. For- and it was the glue that glued it all together and then the finish on it. And I was extremely surprised. It, it still looks brand new to this day with the at that being the finish on it even. Um,
2: that's amazing.
0: Outside of that, that's my experience with it, really. <laughs> I'll occasionally glue something together with it that I just need to stick really fast. Mm-hmm. But I've never used it uh, with the accelerator, I guess the spray. Yes. Or anything like that. I've always just used it for Super glue. Cool.
1: I've used it for years just to make repairs on stuff I've screwed up <laughs> you know like you, you 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 cut you cut a piece off uh you know or you chip something
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's you know you've got this little shard of wood, and uh just to be able to put that back on real quick, sand it down and and make that repair without having to make a new piece is always very helpful. I've been using it in the last couple of years to to help me make jigs quicker, yes. So, I can take some plywood, cut it up, tack it down with the with the cA glue, let it sit for a couple minutes, and then drive a screw here or there, and you know I'm ready to go, and if I want to take it apart, it can still come apart
0: mm-hmm.
1: is the thing
0: by shocking it, more um, or less with a hammer or what?
1: Well, you just take, if you just take a screwdriver and put it up underneath it, you'll pull some wood fibers off of it. But it's not like, you don't put a a solid bead of it. You just put like two or three drops, and it'll hold the parts in place on the jig tight enough. Okay. So that you put the screws down, that part doesn't move around on you. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay.
1: If that makes sense. It does. And then, you know, if you need to reconfigure the jig later, you can just pop it off and put it somewhere else. It's pretty useful. Yeah. I know some guys use it for, you know, like pen turning and stuff like that. You're mm-hmm. talking about a finish before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, I've never turned a pen in my life. So uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't attest to any of that. Well, what about you, Freddie? Have you, have you used it?
2: Well, I first used it for when I made pens many years ago. Um, and then after that, I have a friend who is, uh, his name is Julius Borges. He's a, Well renowned guitar maker, acoustic guitars. And uh, he used to use it for when he sprayed lacquer and then the lacquer sunk and you need to like fill these cavities, these little divots, so these air bubbles. He would fill it with CA glue, you know, then wet sand it and then lacquer on top of it. And it was flawless. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. worked really well, especially for exotics because sometimes these exotics have, since they're oil and there's some areas, or pockets or the pores are more oily than others sometimes the finish doesn't want to dry or penetrate as enough so the ca glue helped there now there's a big go ahead i'm sorry
0: so would he hit it with the accelerator to get the dry
2: no nope. because he would just you let have... it air dry like yes.
0: i've noticed it takes longer if you just leave it by itself
1: yeah, you know, I've not myself. I've never used the accelerator. Me neither. I mean, you put, you put that CA, angle, CA glue on there. I mean, I can wait 5 minutes. I'm not in that big of a hurry where I have to have this instant thing. Uh-huh.
2: Well, I think it all depends on you know I mean? which thickness of adhesive of CA you're using. I have all three versions now in hand, and the thinnest one dries literally within five ten seconds. The thicker one does take about 5 minutes. And right. that's where the, the yeah. accelerator comes in. Now, the thinner one has no gap filling. The thicker one does have gap filling capabilities. Right. So those are the kind of things to be aware of.
1: Yeah. I've, yeah, I've, I've used the, the thin, and it's to me, it's almost worthless. Um, that's, to me, anyways. I use I the medium, and that seems to work for you know, 90% of what I use the CA glue for.
2: Um,
0: What's the, the difference between the medium and the gel one? Because that's the one I have, I'm not yeah. sure.
2: It's, if it's any different. Basically gel is it's the thick. Essentially. It's the viscosity okay. of it. Now, there is a huge like movement in the like conservation world as they want to call it. And when it comes to like veneer patching. Everything uh-huh. about conservation is about not affecting the pre existing piece or area not adding something that's going to penetrate that deeply. And CA glue doesn't penetrate too deeply into the wood fibers. So it used to be like you always put a barrier coat of fish glue or high glue and then do your additional woodwork, adding veneer or whatever, or any other adhesive on top of the high glue because then you can always break that barrier. Well, now the big movement is to use CA glue To say it's 100% reversible, it doesn't penetrate that much, I can just simply scrape a little bit of wood, and then we're back to where it needs to be. Uh, Really, yes, that concept is correct in their approach. But in the end, what they're doing is, I'm basically able to charge you the same exact amount of money and cut my time of working the veneer in more than half. Because CA glue now is so fast, it's just like fit the... Fit the piece, spread a little glue, do the accelerator on the back of the veneer, push down, count to three, move to the next one. No clamps, no nothing. You know, I can even pre-finish it, put the CA glue, put it, clamp it, boom, done. Don't affect the surrounding areas. So you become significantly much more efficient in your process. So that's that's the other way I like to do it now today. On very high-end pieces... Um, I still do the traditional because I'm just a sucker. But the majority of the pieces I do now, uh, I do use the CA glue.
0: Okay. Huh.
2: Now, the guy who mentioned that question or sent that question is, like, how carpenters use it. You know, they probably use it for grade miter returns or when you want to do yep. quick fixes or fills. You know, that works really well. You can add pigment to it also. Like, everyone wants to use... Um, epoxy to fill in cavities in like cherry or when you got cracks you can use CA glue thick mix it up a little bit just put it in there in five minutes it's dry done
0: Huh? <laughs> I never thought about it that way
2: yeah it works it works great and I do use the accelerator now the brand that I like a lot and I'm not a carpenter so I can't say the fast cap is the best or not but the stick fast I think Rockler sells it I uh, that particular adhesive works wonders for the woodwork that I do. I like it's huge.
0: Well what do you say we just wrap it up right here and then we continue this in the next episode.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I, I, we we've got a lot of good questions um through email and Instagram from a post we did and we barely touched half yeah. of
0: them. Yeah. Now this so we we started this podcast and this show and we were just like this is going to become a two-parter i bet so this will be our first one which i i i didn't think the topic would be that good but it really is once you start thinking about it all the things that you actually use and things we can cover so um if you guys have any questions feel free to get a hold of us via our email which is the ATG podcast at gmail.com you can hit us up on instagram uh or go over to uh itunes and shoot us a review or leave a question there in your review guy how does everybody find you uh
1: you can find pretty much everything i do at guyswoodshop.com and that has links to my youtube and uh, my instagram which i'm very active on All
0: right. you can uh you can find me at uh my email, which is jdfinewoodworking at Comcast dot net, or on my Instagram, which is Justin underscore depama How about you, Freddie?
2: The easiest is just go to the website periodcraftsmen dot com, crafts with an S and men with an E. All
0: right. With that, the show's over. I'll talk to you guys next week. See you later. Sure. later.
2: Right, you you shower on Mondays. Yeah.